Again, the last couple of weeks have been a whirlwind in the sports world, especially in the NBA. This offseason might have been the biggest turnover of star players in league history. The biggest names were Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook. And there were more than that. But we'll talk about that more later. In the NFL, it's almost time for training camps. Just how good can the Cleveland Browns be? What's the future like for Mahomes and the Chiefs? And what about the GOAT up in New England? In college football, it's Power 5 media days, and that means we're getting a lot closer to the kickoff of another season. But as great as college football is, will we end up with the same championship game again? Sit back, relax, and listen up to episode 29 of The Format. football fans, heaven is only a little over a month away. This week, Power 5 conferences, except the Pac-12, all have their media days. The Pac-12 was smart enough and uh, they're going to wait until next week to have it all for themselves for the media coverage. Quick note, if you're the Big 10, Big 12, and Atlantic Coast Conference, why would you schedule media week and share it with the SEC? You complain every season and you know that the college football media has an SEC bias So why not schedule to have your time all to yourself so you wouldn't have to compete with the mighty SEC? Just a thought. Anyways, still a bit early to really dig into the college football storylines, but I'll just bring up a few that I'm really looking forward to to getting to. Number one, will we finally get something different in the playoff? Or will we see Clemson and Bama again? It's happened three out of five years and it honestly looks like there won't be too much in the way of it not happening again. Alabama junior quarterback... Tua Tungavailoa returns with the best wide receiving core in the country, and we can always bet on Saban to have another great defense. And this season, they'll have a chip on their shoulder, not only from losing in the title game, but from getting smoked by Clemson. Clemson, for their part, returns their all-world sophomore quarterback Trevor Lawrence and his dangerous receivers Higgins and Ross. Clemson also has the benefit of playing in a relatively weak conference. They're the only ACC team in the preseason top 25. Number two. Will number 5 Notre Dame finally break through? Somehow, the Irish are ranked higher going into this season than last, even after losing 10 players to the NFL. Another quick note, I thought Notre Dame was supposed to be the team that didn't have talent. They didn't have size and speed and athletes. But they've got 10 guys in the league from last year alone. Anyway, that speaks to their recruiting. I talked to one source and I asked them, how is it that when they lost so much talent to the NFL, they're still ranked that high. And what he told me was simply, that team is talented, speaking of Notre Dame. Don't be surprised how well they play when they go to UGA. Now, this is what that guy told me. For me, though, that would be a huge win to beat an SEC powerhouse on the road. But even more importantly, the Irish have to figure out a way to show up and win when it counts most in a playoff or a New Year's Six Bowl game, which they've consistently gotten blown out in. Number three, 
Is this the year Jim Harbaugh finally beats rival Ohio State? And if they do, does it mean as much without Urban Meyer on the sidelines for the Buckeyes? And if they don't, will Jim Harbaugh be on the hot seat? Number four, can USC bounce back and return to a spot of prominence on the national stage? For the last few years, it's been Chris Peterson and the Washington Huskies that have been the best team in the Pac-12. But as good as they've been, realistically, if USC is down, that whole conference is down. USC's name and brand recognition really weighs a lot on the national college football stage. Number five, will the Florida Gators take the next step and will QB Felipe Franks be the one to take them there? The Gators ended last season in fine style, stomping the Michigan Wolverines in the Peach Bowl. I think it was like 44 to 15. I was definitely off on that prediction. You can actually go back and check my podcast from uh, right before that game came on. I think I put that pod out like 30 minutes before that game started, and I was totally shocked by what ended up happening. Anyway, is Dan Mullen going to keep his hungry gators chomping, or will we see a bit of a backslide in the swamp this season? Number six, will Oklahoma's defense improve enough to take him over the top, and can Alabama transfer Jalen Hurts carry on from Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray in the tradition of great QB play under head coach Lincoln Riley? If he does, will that mean that it's the system that makes his QBs great, or is it the players themselves? Finally, even in the wake of losing another QB, can Notre Dame transfer Brandon Wimbush step in and take UCF to the playoff? They start this season at number 11 in the AP poll, and if they went out and get some help from the teams above them, it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. They've shown they can play with some very good teams, beating SEC powerhouses over the last couple of years, and then losing narrowly in the late portion of last year's Fiesta Bowl to a very talented LSU Tiger crew. And even if they do win out, will they get snubbed again by the committee with no clear criteria for who gets in other than one or two teams from the SEC? I guess we'll have to wait and see. We keep hearing about how in this new age of the NFL with the passing game, how it is and quarterbacks more important than ever that the running back position has been devalued. Then we saw a few running backs who played such an important role for their teams that we started to wonder if the running back was starting to return to his former glory. Yeah, about that. So now we're hearing that a la Le'Veon Bell last year, Melvin Gordon III of the Chargers and Ezekiel Elliott of the Cowboys both want to hold out if they don't get new deals. Oh boy. Now on one hand, I understand where these guys are coming from. The running back position is full of contact and has the shortest shelf life of any position in the game. NFL teams have a history of using up running backs, getting as many carries, as many catches, as many yards, as many hits as they can get out of that back. And unless they're truly transcendent at the position, when the team feels that they've hit that magic number, They don't want to pay him or they flat out cut him and look for a younger, cheaper replacement. Now, that sounds grimy, but, you know, that's just the way business is done in the NFL, right? So, again, now that the game has changed, it's a lot less important to have that bell cow running back than it was like in the 80s and the 90s. A while back, I think I actually did a Bruce breakdown on why I personally wouldn't pay Dak Prescott the money he's looking for, no matter where the market is for QBs. The fact is, in the Cowboys situation, without Zeke, that offense doesn't go. It just doesn't. Dak simply is not the type of quarterback that can win 
without a lot of help and without everything going perfectly. The numbers show that if Zeke doesn't play or has a rare game where he doesn't play well, Dak has a really rough time. Now, in my estimation, you got to pay Zeke before you pay Dak, even though you don't want to pay the running back. And you let that go and find out the hard way that he isn't worth what he thinks he is. Because I'm telling you, nobody is going to pay a glorified game manager $30 million a year like he's looking for. Now, Melvin Gordon III, that's a different situation entirely. Let me start by saying I like him a lot. I've been a fan of his since he was breaking records at the University of Wisconsin. The problem is, on the NFL level, he isn't the guy that he was in college. First reason, he can't stay healthy. He's never played 16 games in his four-year career. Second reason, he's only rushed for 1,000 yards in a season once and only averaged over 4 yards per carry once. 5.1 yards per carry last season, which is great, but only 885 rushing yards in 12 games. Now, I'm sorry, but that's not a player that has the leverage to hold out. Even besides that, let's be real here. The Chargers offense is Phillip Rivers-centric. The offense does not suffer at all when Melvin Gordon III is now on the field. He missed four games last year for the Chargers, and they were undefeated in those games. What could make him think that he's got the leverage to hold out? I'm all for players trying to get their money, especially in a sport as physical and as violent as the National Football League. But he's going to be sorely disappointed if he thinks he's going to uh, hold out and get either traded or get the deal that he's looking for. He chose the wrong time to try to make this stand. And unless he gives up on this, he's going to die alone on that hill. Any running back who wants to try this move had better be special. So if you remember what I said in the intro to this episode of the Format Podcast, I mentioned the Browns, the Chiefs, and the Patriots. So I guess you know what confidence I have in what conference I see winning the Super Bowl again. Now, I don't see the Browns being in the mix for winning a Super Bowl. I do think that they'll have a heck of a lot to say about who does and that they'll be a really dangerous team. I like Baker Mayfield a bunch, and I believe the Browns have one of the better rosters in the league on both sides of the ball. I think the only holdup for real success from them is that they have a first-year head coach in a conference full of veterans that they'd have to face in the playoffs. Think about this. Arguably the greatest coach of all time up in New England, Bill Belichick. You have legendary offensive mind in Andy Reid. You have another Super Bowl champion in John Harbaugh. I didn't even think about it until just now. You have Mike Tomlin, another Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? The conference is tough on the coaching side. And when it comes to leading a team in those tight situations, coaching becomes immeasurably important. And let's be fair here, until last season... Freddie Kitchens had never even been an NFL coordinator before. That's got to be taken into account. Next question. We know Pat Mahomes is the real deal. But now, defensive coordinators have had time to study him. And we don't know the status of his biggest weapon, Tyreek Hill, a.k.a. Cheetah. Andy Reid is an excellent and experienced coach who certainly should be able to make adjustments. But can Mahomes come close to repeating the magic we saw last season? I can see his numbers coming back to earth a bit. But you never know. He's got coaching. He's got the natural tools. But he's lost some weaponry. So let's see what happens. So where does that leave us? Oh, yeah. New England. With the seemingly immortal GOAT, Tom Brady. We want to say that he may suffer due to the retirement of Rob Gronkowski. Wrong. He's won Super Bowls without Gronk before. He's got the best coach ever. And an assistant, the offensive coordinator he's in lockstep with in Josh McDaniels. 
And who replaces talent and makes it work better in this league than the Patriots? Seriously. They've got to be the favorites, at least in the AFC. Again, it doesn't even make sense how well that machine is, is running up there. It doesn't matter seemingly what happens. They're always in the mix with an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and win it. This is clearly the best run and arguably the best franchise in the history of the National Football League. What makes it even more impressive is that they're doing all of this in the free agent era. Some people might argue it was the Cowboys. Some people might argue it was those uh, late, mid, well, I guess the Niners all the way through the 80s and into the early 90s. But for the most part, they didn't have to deal with free agency like this, tearing a team up. Some people may argue it was the 70s Steelers with the Steel Curtain and Brad Shaw and Franco Harris and those guys. But again, they didn't have to deal with free agency. So for my money, clearly the greatest franchise and the greatest dynasty in history, even though they got some lucky bounces here or there, is the New England Patriots, hands down. I'm just super excited for football again. I can't wait. Quick note before I uh, finish up talking about the NFL for today. I really want to see what progress Lamar Jackson has made going into year two under Greg Roman. Now, if you remember, Greg Roman was the OC in San Francisco under uh, Jim Harbaugh, and he had a lot of success with Colin Kaepernick, uh, who was kind of a similar type of athlete to Lamar Jackson early on in his NFL career before it was unfortunately derailed by off-the-field issues. None of it his fault. Um, but yeah, Greg Roman is now the uh, OC in Baltimore, and he's working with Lamar Jackson, so I can't wait to see uh, how that works out and what he's learned and if he's made the uh, requisite steps to move forward and be successful. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you got to know there's been massive upheaval in the NBA landscape. And I'm not going to get too deep into all of the moves. I'm just going to list, you know, the major ones and give my opinions on some of them. As soon as free agency officially opened, uh, the first major domino fell. We kind of expected Kevin Durant to leave the Golden State Warriors for New York. We just thought it would be for the Knicks. But surprise, surprise. Even before the official 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time start date to free agency, he announced that he'd be signing with the Brooklyn Nets instead. His good friend Kyrie Irving, who also had been rumored for a while to be headed to Brooklyn, is going to join him there. And also joining him there is uh, former Clipper and Nick DeAndre Jordan for a pretty formidable 1-2-3 punch. That, of course, is next season after KD recovers from a torn Achilles which, of course, he suffered in the NBA Finals. Side note, before I move on, one of the reasons KD was expected to be leaving was because he wasn't happy with the diagnosis by the Warriors medical staff, and that's fine. They work for the team, and their main goal is to get guys back on the floor for the betterment of the team. But KD did get a second opinion from his own specialist on whether or not he could play again, and apparently he got some level of okay from them, so why act like the Warriors are the villains here? Sounds like a lack of personal responsibility to me, doesn't it? He had the opportunity not to go back out there, but he wanted to go play hero. Now, I guess you could look at it one of two ways. He wanted to go play hero, 
or he wanted to get back out there and compete. It's one of the two. But regardless, that was his decision to make. You can't blame it all on the Warriors' medical staff. Anyway, based on Kevin Durant's style of play, his relatively young age, I believe that he can return and be most of what he was pre-injury. Even though he's a really athletic player, that's not what his game is predicated on. He's still a skill guy, so he can recover and still be very dangerous. I guess for me, the question is, will he still get along with Kyrie Irving after two seasons? When it comes to Kyrie Irving, I didn't see much from him in Boston, and there's stories out there about how he didn't get along well with teammates, even going back to Cleveland. Sometimes he apparently even went weeks without speaking to them. That's crazy, right? I get it. Everyone isn't built to lead or lead vocally, but being a good teammate, that's not hard. So I'm going to be kind of waiting to see what happens here. You got two pretty prickly personalities that are going to have to try to get along with one another day in and day out, as well as dealing with one of the toughest media markets in the country. Good luck, KD and Kyrie. You'll need it. Next up is Kemba Walker to the Celtics. So he earned a match deal in Charlotte, averaged almost 26 a game last year, about five and a half assists and made third-team All-NBA at the guard spot, but Michael Jordan was not willing to pay it, so he moved on. This is interesting to me in terms of fit. Kemba Walker is pretty similar in terms of skill set to Kyrie Irving, but from all reports, he's a better teammate and a better leader. Now, obviously, I can't speak directly to that. I haven't spoken to anyone on either side to be able to corroborate that, but that's what I've heard, and obviously, I don't know either one of them, but we'll, we'll see. I'm looking to see also, is he going to be a good fit with Brad Stevens and his um, scheme with the Celtics? Because other than Kyrie Irving, point guards seem to flourish in that system. If you look at Isaiah Thomas, who became All-NBA, if you look at Terry Rozier, who had a great run in the playoffs two years ago, and now we see if Kemba Walker will join that list. The other big note in terms of the Celtics is whether or not Jason Tatum can make the leap and fit well with Kemba Walker. Obviously, he did not fit well with Kyrie Irving, and that played a, a huge role in his, I'll say, lack of development, lack of jump in terms of production from year one to year two. So we'll see. Third big move in the NBA. Anthony Davis forcing his way out with the help, of course, of his agent, Rich Paul, to form one of the best duos in the league on the Lakers, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Now, LeBron is coming back from his first full summer vacation in over a decade, and the first major injury of his career. I'm going to look at two major factors here that are kind of in my mind. Number one, and to me this is the biggest one, how does LeBron's body react after its first real injury, especially coming so late in his career? Normally big injuries late in the career lead to several smaller ones, like little nagging things here and there, and those smaller ones tend to lead to more big ones. Now, I'm definitely not looking for anyone to get hurt, but the fact is, you don't recover better when you're older. I don't care who you are and what type of supposedly, you know, cybernetic body you say you have. As you age, the recovery becomes slower and more difficult. That's just a fact. There's no way of getting around it. The second major factory for me is, how will AD fit with LeBron? LeBron throughout his career has marginalized big men. I mean, that's just a fact. In all fairness, Anthony Davis is better than any other big he's ever played with, but LeBron is LeBron. And 17 years in, I don't think his game's going to change. 
He marginalized Zajunis Ogowskis first in Cleveland. Then he goes to Miami, marginalizes Chris Bosh, comes back to Cleveland, marginalizes Kevin Love. These are guys who are all putting up big numbers. Some were all-stars. Uh, some were um, all-NBA caliber players. And that dried up for the most part playing with LeBron. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying Anthony Davis can't possibly believe that he's going to be able to have the same statistical impact playing with LeBron that he had in the past. Also, he can't possibly believe that LeBron is just going to step backwards and hand him the mantle to take over. I just, I don't see it. Again, year 17, LeBron has been the guy for his entire career. I can't see it. Also, let's be realistic here. LeBron, I think, I truly believe that he knows that no more championships are coming. So he wants to pile up the numbers as much as he can. He wants to become the all-time scoring leader. He wants to see how far he can get on the assist list, how far he can get on the rebound list, right? Because if no more titles come, your next argument point are the statistics. So this leads me to believe he's not just going to stand back and let Anthony Davis take over and be the man on that team. That's my take. Next up, here's the, here's the move that really turned the NBA on its ear. And that's Kawhi Leonard deciding to go to L.A. to the Clippers. But not just deciding to go there, but also recruiting Paul George to demand a trade from the OKC Thunder to go there with him. And the crazy thing is, Paul George was only one season into his deal with OKC. That's the wild part. If I'm OKC, I don't know if I just let him walk like that. Now, in fairness... They did get a treasure trove of assets, a bunch of picks from the Clippers, and they got rid of that contract, so that's fair. But as an owner, I don't know if I allow the precedent of saying, you know, that I'm letting guys come to me and force a trade or demand a trade after only one season when I gave them the big money. But that's me. Um, so they made it happen, and all the while, and this was the funny part to me, Kawhi Leonard had the Lakers believing that he was pretty likely on the way to sign with them. That's the crazy part. LeBron James, the super recruiter and NBA resident master manipulator, he got beat at his own game. Kawhi really set them up for the okie doke. This was an example of checkers versus chess. And let's be real here, Kawhi Leonard was the grandmaster on this one. Now the Clippers have two all-NBA level players on their roster. One of the best six men ever in Lou Williams and a starting five that's an absolute nightmare defensively on the perimeter in a league defined by trying to get an open three or taking advantage of the pick and roll action. Let's say now the Lakers and the Clippers are playing. Imagine you're LeBron James and you have made a living your entire career off getting mismatches in the screen game. So you come down, you call for a screen. You have Paul George on you. You call for the screen. Who switches out? Kawhi Leonard. Uh-oh, LeBron don't want no part of that. You call for another screen. Okay, here's the screen. This time, on the switch, you get Pitbull Pat Beverly. Uh-oh, LeBron wants no part of that either. And uh, before you LeBron fans who might be listening say, I'm just hating, go back and look last year at the troubles that LeBron had with Pat Beverly. LeBron is 6'9", Pat Beverly's like 6'2", and he could not score on Pat Beverly. But I digress. You call for another screen to get Pat Beverly off you. Now you have Montrez, Montrez Harrell in your face. That defensive versatility will create a lot of problems for a lot of teams in the league. 
that team is going to be very tough. Not to mention they have really good coaching with Doc Rivers, who's a champion. They've got top flight executives and ownership with uh, Steve Ballmer, who's the richest owner in the NBA, as well as uh, executive uh, genius in uh, the logo himself, Jerry West. Anyway, a couple weeks ago, I also told you about the reported feuding between Chris Paul, a.k.a. CP3, and James Harden with the Rockets. I just want a fair chance, man. Well, that escalated quickly. Chris Paul is now, by all accounts temporarily, a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and Russell Westbrook, the triple-double king, is now a Rocket, getting ready to play with his old friend and his old teammate, James Harden. Now, these two were uh, reportedly A-OK with the trade. Uh, Harden said, go get him. Um, uh, uh, Russell Westbrook told Sam Presti that he'd love to go there. I think these guys have known each other since, like, grade school. They're both from Southern Cal. Um, they kind of went their separate ways uh, in college with Westbrook playing at uh, UCLA and uh, James Harden playing at Arizona State. But obviously they got back together with the Thunder, and now they're back together with the Rockets. So they have a personal relationship. That's cool. They have a professional relationship because they played together before. But I don't know if this works. Now, this deal definitely adds a punch and a lot of athleticism, but it creates a much bigger problem. You have the two highest usage rates in the NBA trying to find a way to coexist, and I don't think they can do it, honestly. Also, they have a coach who's non-confrontational and passive-aggressive. He's not the kind of guy who can rein in things if it gets too hot there. I seriously expect this thing to go nuclear by the end of the season. I just don't see how they play effectively with one another for the long term. People are going to argue, oh, they played together before, but that was a totally different situation. James Harden was coming off the bench, and uh, uh, Russell Westbrook, he hadn't become the man yet. He still had KD there. Neither one had won an MVP award. Neither one had been the leader of their own team. But now, both are in that situation. Previous MVP winners, they're both among the best players in the league. They've both been the leaders of their own teams. I don't know which one is going to back down and make the sacrifice necessary to win. I don't know that I can see either one of them doing that. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in Houston. I, I don't believe in the move. I don't think that it was smart, but it was done, and now we're going to see. Uh, back to Chris Paul. Apparently his likely landing spot is getting traded from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the Miami Heat. But here's another situation that makes no sense to me. Chris Paul has pretty much been a headache wherever he's been in the league. So explain to me how sending him to Miami with Jimmy Butler makes any sense. Jimmy Butler is also a notorious hardhead, an extremely hardworking hardhead, but a hardhead nonetheless. And I think the two of them on the same team would get real ugly real fast. That might end up in a Homer and Bart Simpson situation. I'm talking about fingers locked and palms almost touching type choke. Or, or you know, to take it back, Latrell Sprewell and P.J. Carlissimo. Like, that thing is not going to work. That's oil and water and, and a dynamite situation. That thing's going to blow up real quick if they make that deal and send Chris Paul to Miami with Jimmy Butler. Who knows where Chris Paul actually ends up. But... To put a ball on this thing, I'm honestly going to say I am more excited about this upcoming NBA season than I've been in a long time. Like, there's more parity. There's a lot of great storylines. We don't even know who's going to be in the finals, furthermore, who will win the title. 
So with that said, my way too early pick is for the NBA Finals is going to be LA Clippers versus Philadelphia 76ers. Yes, yes, I know. I picked the 76ers last season, but I'm not jumping off that train. I just think they have so much talent. I believe they're dangerous. They have firepower. They can defend. And when he's right, there is no answer for Joel Embiid. So he needs to make sure his body's right, his mind is right, so that he can dominate because he's capable of it in this era of the NBA. Nobody can deal with that guy when he's on his game and when he's healthy. Overall, I think it's going to be a great season. And for the first time in a long time, I think I'm really going to pay attention to regular season basketball. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think a lot of people will. I gave you fair warning. Beware. Beware. I gave you fair warning. Beware. Beware. Before we get up out of here, you know what time it is. It's time for the Bruce. If you look at the NFL, you can see that most of the players come from the Deep South and Texas, with California coming in third. In college football, for the most part, the SEC is the dominant conference, with the general thought being the South, and especially the Southeast, breeds the best athletes. I've wondered about this a lot, because at first, I just didn't believe it. But you know me if you've been listening by now. I'm the evidence guy. So looking at that empirical evidence, the SEC and that region of the country wins more championships and has what most believe are the best programs, along with the amount of the guys from that part of the country going to the NFL, even the NBA, and in high-level track and field, well, I had no choice but to accept the narrative. The South does create better athletes. But why? Thinking about it, it occurred to me, the South doesn't necessarily make better athletes. What makes the better athletes are the conditions in the South. In the North, the Midwest, and the Pacific Northwest, in the fall and winter, it gets cold. It gets rainy. It snows. It gets icy. In the South, for 90 or 95% of the year, it's either warm or hot. But what does the temperature have to do with anything? Pretty simple. If the weather allows it, Athletes can run, lift, train all year round without having to wait for more agreeable conditions. Think about this. If I could train all the time and you could only train for half that amount of time, wouldn't I be the better athlete? Not because I'm just better, but because I've worked more to maximize my abilities. So there we have it. Athletes aren't just better by virtue of being Southern. The Southern climate is what really makes the difference. And that's it for this episode of the Bruce Breakdown and for this episode of the Format Podcast. If you're a returning listener, thanks for joining me again. And if you're a new listener, thanks for deciding to check out the pod. I hope you liked it and I hope you'll come back. Um, if you want to get at me and uh, communicate with me, which is something I love. I love to shoot the breeze with listeners or anybody, really. To If you want to tell me what I did wrong, if you want to tell me what you liked, if you want to suggest topics for next week's shows, whatever it might be, you can definitely hit me up on Twitter, at Bruce F.A. Hope, that's at Bruce F.A. Hope, or you can hit me up on Instagram, at The Format Podcast, that's at The Format Podcast, I definitely love to hear with you, like I said, shoot the breeze, or you can tell me whatever it is you want to tell me, um, if you're listening to me on an Apple platform, Go ahead and, and go to uh, iTunes, rate and review, give us the five stars. 
Alright, let's go ahead and uh, continue to get this pod out to as many people as possible so I can keep bringing you my own special and unique takes and share with you, uh, you know, what I think and, and what I'm feeling and what I see going forward and looking back in the past in the sports world. So again, thank you and uh, have a good one. See you next week. I'm out.